your Bibles, please, to the book of Habakkuk once again. Habakkuk, we will be uh, in chapter 1 in just a few moments, but then the rest of the message will be in chapter 2. So Habakkuk chapter 1 and then chapter 2. Remember I told you if you have trouble finding it, go to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and go back four books to Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets. We talked last week about being on the ropes, when your face on the rope and, and, ropes, and we talked about uh, doubting God. Well, today I want to talk to you about your faith being on the ropes, and, and I want to talk to you about debating with God. Now, we all do this, and whether we want to admit it or not, I, I know that we all do this, uh, we take our shot. Uh, we'll give it a try, even though we know it's not going to work. Even though we know that we can deal and bargain all we want to, it's not going to do any good. And that's what I'm talking about, is bargaining with God. Has anybody else ever done that? You, you know what I'm saying? God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. God, if you'll see me through this, I'll never do or I'll do this for you. That desire goes all the way back to the first man who ever lived. I, I honestly believe it is ingrained within our human nature to want to debate, to want to bargain with God. I said it went all the way back to Adam. I remember a story of how Adam was walking through the Garden of Eden one day and he was kind of moping and pouting. God said, Adam, what's the matter with you? Adam said, well, God, I'm lonely. I don't have anybody you know, like myself to talk to. God said, Adam, I got some good news for you, son. I'm going to make you a companion. And he said, this companion you're going to call woman. And he said, this, this woman that I'm going to make you, he said, she's going to be such a tremendous thing, such a, a tremendous benefit and blessing to you. He said, this person, she will gather and cook your food. She will, when you discover clothes, She'll wash your clothes for you. Uh, this person, she will bear your children. She'll never get up in the middle of the night and then wake you up and say, hey, you need to go take care of the kids. Uh, she'll never nag you. She'll always be the first one to admit she's wrong whenever there's disagreement. She'll never have a headache. And she will freely give you love and passion anytime that you desire or want it. Adam says, Wow. God, what, what will this woman cost? God said, she'll cost you an arm and a leg. Adam said, well, in that case, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> Folks, I think it is human nature to want to bargain with God. And have you ever noticed that when you bargain with God and He doesn't deal, what do you do then? You start debating God. You start giving God all these reasons why He should have done things your way because your way would have been better. Can you relate? Well, if you can, then you understand where Habakkuk's coming from. Let me remind you of the story, recap a little from last week. Habakkuk's living in what's known as the southern kingdom. You remember at one time, Israel was the united kingdom. After the death of King Solomon, there was a civil war. There was a split and a division, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Now, Israel at this time that uh, Habakkuk 
is, is, is living Israel, they're in captivity by the Assyrians. And the reason they are is because of God's discipline. God's chastisement. Israel, uh, they became pagan. They became an adulterous nation. And God chastised them and led them into captivity with the Assyrians. And at this point in time, Judah has not paid a whole lot of attention to what happened to Israel because they're doing the same things. Well, Habakkuk is crying out to God and has been for some time wanting God to bring revival to his nation, wanting God to make things right. And for a long time, it seemed like to Habakkuk that God was deaf or that God was blind. He just wouldn't hear what Habakkuk said and he just couldn't see what was going on. All of a sudden, it became a, you know, a good news, bad news situation for Habakkuk. The good news, God answered his prayer. The bad news, he answered it in a way that Habakkuk didn't want. God told him he was going to raise up the most wicked, vicious nation on the planet, the Babylonian Empire, and they were going to come in, they were going to conquer Judah, they were going to destroy Judah politically and take the people captive. Habakkuk just thought times were tough. They were fixing to get a whole lot tougher. And so Habakkuk, he thought it all over, and he's not satisfied with God's answer. So no longer is he doubting God because God has spoke to him. But now he's debating God. And basically Habakkuk's trying to convince God, you made the wrong decision. Let me tell you what decision would be right. Back up and look at chapter 1. Let's look at two verses real quick, 12 and 13. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. He's talking to God. Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Verse 13. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk, he, uh, he thinks that he has played his ace in the hole that he has played a so-called trump card with God because he appeals to God's number one attribute. Did you catch that? He appeals to God's holiness. Now you got to give Habakkuk credit. He had guts. He says to God, you are a holy God. You're so holy, so pure, you can't even look upon sin. Now as I said last week, obviously that does not mean that God does not see sin and evil. It means that God can see it, but God does not approve of it like you and I do. Habakkuk lays down the challenge. He says, God, how can you use the Babylonians? Uh, you think we're bad. Have you really took a good look at them, God? They're terrible. They're worse than us. They're a lot more evil, a lot more wicked, more sinful than we are. And you know what's amazing? Everything Habakkuk is saying is true. If you took a spreadsheet, laid it out on the table, and you listed the qualities, the negative qualities of Babylon and the negative qualities of Judah, trying to figure out who the best nation was, there's no comparison. Judah would win. You had the Babylonian Empire. They were unbelievers. They were pagans. They were ruthless. They were mean. They were cruel. Then you had the nation of Judah. They were believers. They were God-fearers. They weren't pagans. Now, granted, they were a little rambunctious and mischievous, but they were not ruthless. They were not cruel. They were not a conquering nation like Babylon was. Now notice Habakkuk is asking God a certain question. And the question, basically what he's asking God is, God, are you so good, so pure, so holy? And if you are, how can you let the bad guys win? You ever ask that question? 
you look down the road at a neighbor who is, I guess you'd say, a, a bad, terrible person. He cheats on his wife, disregards his family, spends all his money at the casino, uh, never darkens the door of a church, and yet he has a steady job. He has a secure income and more money. And then there's you. You play by the rules. You're faithful to your spouse, to your family. Uh, you are faithful to Christ, faithful servant in his church. And you have trouble. Either you just got laid off or you have trouble making ends meet at the end of the month. And you ask God, God, how is it possible that you'll let the bad guys win? Well, here's the problem, folks. The problem is we need to see God's question. Not Habakkuk's question or our question. The problem is God's asking something completely different. And here's what it is. God's question, basically, and you study this, He's saying, should I expect more out of people who claim to know me, love me, fear me, worship me, and serve me? Or should I expect more out of people who do not know me, don't love me, don't worship me, don't fear me, and don't serve me? God says, basically, Habakkuk, I'm going to teach you, I expect far more out of my people than I do anybody else. Remember when Habakkuk, now keep this in mind, he's trying to find God in tough times. And in his mind, this is precisely where the rub is. Because God is too pure to look upon evil. God is too holy to tolerate wrong. And, and that understanding of that is causing problems because he's saying, wait a minute, God, you're so holy, you're so pure, but you're going to take a wicked nation like Babylon to solve Judah's problem with rebellion. And armed with that knowledge uh, that God is holy, therefore he's not going to do anything evil, that God is just, he is righteous, and he hates sin, therefore he's not going to do anything wrong. Armed with that knowledge, God tells Habakkuk and us, I believe, how to stand when we don't understand. When we don't know what God's doing. And the first one, and I'm going to tell you right up front, you're not going to like this because none of us do. But the first thing we got to do is wait on God. Wait on God because He's going to keep His word. Like I said, we don't like that. When, when you're in the middle of a difficult situation and uh, you don't, Christian, you don't either hear God or you don't see God. Or maybe you hear God but you don't like what He said. Or you see God but you don't like the way God looks. When those times come up, I'm going to tell you, if you don't understand what God is doing, the first thing you need to do is simply wait. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Look at that word watch, uh, it's watch post. Or If you had the King James, it's the word watch. And it actually means watchtower. That's what it literally means. Now, you know, back in Bible days, cities had high walls and they had gates. And ever so often along the wall, they had what was called a watchtower or a rampart. And it was typically made of mounds of earth that was raised up. And you could get on top of that. You could see over the wall. You could see for miles around the city. So you could see uh, caravans coming in, you know, and bringing goods and, and trading their wares. Or you could see if an enemy was about to attack the city. It was about really the only place for somebody to get away and get away from everybody and everything and get a higher perspective. That is exactly, Christian, what you and I need to do when you can't find God in your situation, you can't seem to hear God, you can't seem to see God, then go up and look up. Look up to God. 
Don't look around you at the world, but look up to God. Get above your problem, and as Paul says, set your mind, your focus, your heart on things above and not on your problem. Look to the one who can solve the problem instead of the problem. Now, I realize that is very difficult. That's hard for us to do today in our technologically driven culture that we live in. Folks, and I'll tell you why it's hard. We have accelerated our sense of time. Thousands of years ago, we measured time by days and nights. Then we invented, somebody invented the clock, and we began to measure time by minutes and hours. Now we live in the digital technology age, and we measure time in microseconds or milliseconds. Well, friend, there's a reason why we should be patient. Look at verse 3. For still the vision awaits, awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. We can be patient because we can be expectant. If God says something, it's done. It's going to happen. We can wait because we're expectant on God. We expect it to come to pass. God tells Habakkuk exactly what he's going to do, and he even tells him, write it down. Look at verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Do you know what the Bible is, folks? The Bible is God's light in dark days. Now, I promise you, no matter how dark your situation may be, in his time, God will turn on the light for you. God will break the silence, and he will speak into your problem and speak into your heart because he keeps his promises. He keeps his word. The problem with us is not that we don't get answers from God. Our problem's twofold. Number one, we get answers from God, but they're not in the time we think we should get them. Or we get answers from God, and we don't like the answers. Look at verse 3 again. Notice this sentence. It says, the vision awaits its appointed time. Those two words, appointed time, they are huge. And we need to understand exactly what that means. And let me make it real plain to you. God is concerned with timing, not time. God is a God of timing. Everything has an appointed time. Everything operates according to an appointment. A verse everybody knows, Hebrews chapter 9, 27. For it is appointed unto a man once to die. Listen to me, friend. If God is sovereign, and he is, then in reality there are no accidents in life, not even in death. There are only appointments. Time is irrelevant to God. That's why God, he can't be early and he's never going to be late because time's irrelevant. We need to wait on his timing. Now let me give you a principle, Christian, that will help you tremendously in dark days and troubling times. And it's this, delay from God is not denial. Delay is not denial. God says, I will do things, but I'm going to do them my way in my time. I will not be hurried. I will not be pushed. God says, I will act. And when I do act, I'll do the right thing. I'll do it the right way. But understand, when I do it, it'll be according to my timetable, not yours. You know why God wants us to wait? One of the main reasons I believe God wants us to wait. You know why God wants us to be patient with him? Because it grows us. It strengthens us. What does James say in James 1, 2? He says, count it all joy, brother, when you fall into diverse of various temptations. That word temptation actually there means trials. He said count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials are different shapes, sizes, 
and degrees. And the reason he says count it all joy, Christian, is because patience, that develops perseverance. Perseverance develops persistence. Persistence develops spiritual power. It strengthens your faith. Now, believer, listen to me. Do you know what tough times are? Tough times are simply a chance for you to show the rest of the world how a person who truly believes and truly trusts God is going to live. Look at the word wait in verse 2. That literally means be, be patient in persistence. Be patient in persistence. When you can't find God in tough times, don't give up, don't blow up, just look up. Don't give up, just look up. Don't get flustered and mad and aggravated and agitated and blow up. No, change your focus. Set your spiritual sights on a higher plane. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you have seen bats flying around at night? You've seen bats. Yeah, I've seen them. When I was a kid, we used to love to try to catch them, catch them bats. We didn't understand rabies or coronavirus or nothing back then. We caught bats. I'll never forget one flew in the marshal's car one time. I'm glad she didn't know it was in there because she would have killed the bat, her, and everybody in the neighborhood. <clears throat> but if you've ever seen a bat, they are unbelievably, extremely nimble and agile creatures in the air. It is amazing to watch them fly. But you know, you take that bat and put him on flat ground, he is totally helpless to do anything. He can't fly. They cannot take the flight off the flat surface, off the ground. They're bound to the world. What a bat has to do is he has to find an, an elevation somewhere. So he has to set his mind on getting higher than himself. Once he finds that elevation, he can get up on it. He can throw himself off, and then he begins to soar. He begins to fly. He begins to, to fly the way God created him to fly. Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of people today, they are just like that bat. I'm not saying they look like a bat. What I'm saying is they are bound on the earth. And the reason they are is because they refuse to set their spiritual attention and their spiritual focus on a plane higher than themselves. They are stuck on the world instead of flying the way God created them. Why? Because they look at the world around them instead of looking to a higher plane and looking to God. Change your focus, Christian. Don't get so wound up, bound up, and caught up in the world. Remember whose you are, remember where you're going, and remember who's in charge. Set your focus on a higher plane. The next thing I want you to see, if you're going to stand when you don't understand what's going on, not only wait on God because he keeps his word, but watch for God because he's going to bring justice. Habakkuk doesn't have to wait too long for God to tell him the answer to his problem. Uh, God says, yes, you're absolutely right, Habakkuk. I am holy. I am perfect. I am righteous. <coughs> and I'm going to use a more wicked nation to punish a less wicked nation. I'm going to do things, God says many times, that the prophets, the professors, and the pastors are not going to understand. And when I do, there's only one way to handle it, Habakkuk. And let me tell you, you know what that one way is? That one way is found in one of the cornerstone verses of the Old Testament. Look at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but here it is. But the righteous shall live by faith. Christian, the second half 
of verse 4. That's the verse that was the spark that ignited the Protestant Reformation around 500 years ago. It's one of the most quoted Old Testament verses in the New Testament. Just off the top of my head, I know three places where it's quoted. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 17, Galatians 3, verse 11, Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 38. It is the key to the entire book of Habakkuk. And it's not only the best answer, it's the only answer when you're trying to find God in tough times. And let me explain it this way. Every person who's had a relationship or has a relationship with God, every person who has been born on this earth, everyone from Adam all the way down to us, to you, to me, our relationship with God can be boiled down into one word, and that one word is faith. That's how important faith truly is. You see, in the end, there's something more important than any proof of God, and that is a relationship with God. And you know the most important question you can ask concerning God is not the question, is there a God? The most important question is, if there is a God, how can I know Him? How can I have a relationship with Him? You see, folks, in this verse alone, there in verse 4, you have the key to understanding, actually, all the history of the world. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well... There's a great conflict raging on the earth right now, and it has been since the beginning of time. It's a conflict between the proud on one hand and those of faith on the other hand. You see, you've got those who put their trust in themselves or in mankind, and then you have those who put their faith, their trust in God. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There always has been only two kinds of people who have ever lived. You've got those who in the first part of verse 4 it says their soul is puffed up and it's not upright within them. Those are people they cannot be right with God because of their puffed up pride. Their ego gets in the way. That's one group. Then you have the righteous. What makes them righteous is not what they do or what they have done. What makes them righteous is who they believe. So you got two kinds of people. People who trust themselves and people who trust God. In essence, folks, what God's saying to Habakkuk is, if you want to get through tough times, do not lose your focus in me. If you want to get through tough times, keep your faith. Keep trusting me. Keep believing in me. Listen to me, Christian. Every time you go through a difficult situation, every time it seems that you get what you don't deserve, every time life deals you a bad hand, the whole ball game comes down to your faith or lack of faith. Let me say this, every follower of Jesus Christ, ultimately, it comes down to faith. It comes down to questions like these. Will God keep His word? Will God do what is right? Will God bring justice? Uh, will I overcome death, really overcome death? Uh, is the gospel really true? Now, the only way, friend, that you get the right answer to those questions is if you make up your mind that you are going to have faith in God. You're going to trust God regardless. You know, throughout this chapter... In chapter 2 here, God tells Habakkuk, if you're worried about the Babylonians, you don't need to be worried about them, Habakkuk, because notice what I got in store for them. The two greatest sins, and I don't know if you've ever studied this or not, the two greatest sins in the Old Testament were pride and idolatry. And folks, the Babylonians were guilty of both. Way guilty of both. And what God does in chapter 2, He throws down five woes against this pagan, idolatrous nation. God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Now let me clue you in on something. When God throws down one woe, oh, that's bad. That's bad. When God lays down five woes, 
that's really bad. That's even beyond bad. I don't even have the words to explain it. When God looks at you and says, whoa, 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 you've messed up. Bad things are on the horizon. Five times God names the sin that Babylon is guilty of, and then he gives the consequences of that judgment. I want you to look with me. Look in uh, look at verse 6. I don't have time to unpack all these and to, to expound on all these. I'm just going to share them with you. Look at verse 6. They were guilty of greed. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and ridicule or riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Look at verse 9. They were guilty of injustice. This is talking about those in places of power. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm or to be safe to escape. Uh, what he's talking about is to escape ruin. Now, skip down and look at verse 12. They were also guilty of violence. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Verse 15, they were guilty of seduction. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath. Another word for wrath is venom. Uh, or to the picture that it paints is you, you force drink upon your neighbor. It says, woe, uh, you, uh, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath or your wine and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Verse 19, they were guilty of idolatry. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath in it at all. Before you say, man, man, Babylon was a bad nation. They were terrible. Yes, they was, but I want you to remember something. All five of these things I just listed, there's a whole lot of those in America today. So what I'm saying is, and you say, I can't believe you're saying this, you're absolutely right. America's worse than Babylon was in this day. Now, having said that, what God was saying to Habakkuk was, Babylon doesn't have the last word, Habakkuk. Even, even after Babylon is through with Judah, I'm not going to be through with Babylon. From that, let me say this. This is important to understand. God wasn't going to let the Babylonians get away with anything. Basically, God's saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, quit worrying. It's not a matter of whether I'm going to judge the Babylonians. It's a matter of when I'm going to judge them. And then I think God kind of tells Habakkuk, you need to understand something. I judge sin everywhere. God says, I don't play favorites. Nobody gets a pass with me. Whether it's the Babylonians or my own people, sin is going to bring judgment just as surely as clouds bring rain. I believe that's something that we have forgotten in America. And most churches today, you will not hear from behind the pulpit. But God's going to judge sin wherever it is, wherever he finds it. I'm going to say it again. Then nobody gets a pass with God. By the way, let me say this while I'm on this point. Even though it went badly for Judah, they weren't completely destroyed. I mean, the Jewish people are alive and well today. Amen? Some of us went over there a few years ago, had a great time over there. Jewish, God's, Jewish, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, they're alive and well. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever met a true Babylonian? No, you haven't. And you will not. Now, it's true. Babylon, they invaded, they conquered, they decimated Judah. They took the people captive. But 56 years after they took God's people captive, the Medo-Persian Empire came onto the scene and they devastated and wiped Babylon, the nation of Babylon, from the face of the earth. 
Friend, understand something. God judged the Jews. He judged the Babylonians. And I'm going to make it clear one of these days, God's going to judge you unless you by faith come to know his son, Jesus Christ. If your question is, how do I escape the judgment of God? Well, it all comes down to that one word I mentioned a while ago. It comes down to faith. There are only two possible ways to approach God, belief or unbelief. You can either believe in God or choose not to believe in Him. You can put your faith in Him or don't put your faith in Him. You can only come to God by faith. And the only way you can come to God by faith is by having faith in Jesus Christ or you don't come to God at all. When you're in those tough times and you want to stand firm when you don't understand what God's doing, what's happening, number one, wait on God because He keeps His word. Number two, watch for God because He will bring divine justice. Number three, Worship God because he's in control. Look at the last verse of chapter. The last verse of this chapter, to me, it's like a hammer that shatters every argument, every objection that, that anybody, that Habakkuk or Job or you or me or any of us could ever bring against God. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let me put it in real modern, modern English. God's in charge. The world needs to shut their mouth before him. The God who made the heavens, the earth, uh, who has made every being in it, he is on his throne. And his dominion is over every part and parcel of this universe. What we're told is God from his holy temple, he's calling the shots. God is seeing to it that every piece of the puzzle comes together just like he said it would. God has seen to it throughout history that all the turns and the twists of history, it has always been headed exactly in the direction that he wants it to go. Yes, in his sovereignty, God uses evil to accomplish good. God can use one nation more wicked than another nation to get the attention of the less wicked nation. We might to keep that in mind as well. The bottom line is when times are toughest, when the days are darkest, the only thing, friend, that's going to matter in your life is that God is in his holy temple. He's in control, and you can trust that.
all the social ills. And I'm not going to waste time preaching about all of them. Where's your faith at today? That's the question I want you to contemplate in your heart. Father, I pray for those who need to make a decision this morning to come and surrender their life to you, to establish a relationship with you by placing their faith in Jesus Christ or those that need to, uh, Father, rededicate their life to you. They just need to be drawn closer to you and their focus needs to change. They need to quit looking at the world and they need to see things with their spiritual eyes from a higher plane, from your perspective. Father, I pray if one here today needs to make a decision, they would do so for your honor and your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?